Today we have Whitney Sewell on the show. Do you have an income problem? Whitney Sewell is a general partner in close to 1,000 units, and he did it all with his never give up attitude. He knows that if you want something bad enough, you'll find a way to make it happen. And real estate syndication was the answer for him and his family when they were looking for an additional stream of income. Listen and learn how a police officer making twenty to 30000 per year grew his syndication business to where he now easily raises millions to purchase multifamily communities. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn, and then select the free PDF. Now, onto the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Whitney Sewell before we start the show. Whitney served in the military. He then became a police officer and then a federal agent. He loved serving, but it was looking for a way to provide more income for his family. He started investing in real estate, then made the decision to start a daily podcast focused on real estate syndication. He started with two triplexes, and now he easily raises millions for large-scale multifamily communities. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Whitney Sewell on the show. Whitney, appreciate you coming on the show. Honored to be here, Darren. Fantastic. So just a little bit on how I know Whitney. So I don't know. It must be, we were just trying to, to brainstorm on when it is, but it's probably like over two years ago, I was a guest on Whitney's show and um, that's how we, you know, we first kind of came, came about and um, I see him all over social media and he's doing great things. So I'm excited to learn about what he's been up to since last time we talked. So uh, Whitney, typically first question I ask is how many properties and how many units are you currently invested in? We are managing about a thousand or 900 to a thousand units right now. And that's across, I have to think about it now, but it's six or seven projects because uh, we have three developments happening right now also. And, and so there's, there's a lot of different deals. We just closed uh, a large fund and have uh, just actually, we just closed another project last, uh, last week that was not in that count. And then we have two more under contract as well that should close over the next two months. So. Fantastic. So um, I did get a chance to, um, you know, prepping for this, listen to an episode that you did with um, on bigger pockets. And I didn't know your story in terms of what you did before you started, you know, getting into this industry. So if you could share with the listeners a little bit about that, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I would love to do that. I appreciate that. I appreciate you listening to that show as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But, uh, you know, it is, a, I look back and I think, man, the Lord just prepared me for lots of things. And I think it's, it's, uh, I look back and I think, you know, hard things 
uh, change a person, right? And, and prepare people for, for things. And, and I'm thankful for some of the hard things. Uh, and so I'll share some of that. But I, I go back to March of 2001. And because it was March when of that year when I decided to join the military. And we all, we all know what happened about six months later. And I bet most of us, if you were alive then, you can remember where you were probably at right on 9-11. And so I joined the military. All of a sudden, our nation's attacked. Found myself shortly after spending a year in Iraq uh, toting around a machine gun. Never imagined, obviously, you know, being in that situation. But uh, I'm, I'm thankful I was able to serve uh, however, uh, you know, not everyone in my squad made it home. Uh, and so obviously some hard lessons, right? And you, and you learn uh, a lot about uh, lots of things, you know, in situations like that, that help prepare you for other things. But, but one thing I say the military taught me, Darren, was to have a never give up mentality. Uh, and it's just not an option to give up, right? When, you, when you're in combat, I mean, other people are depending on you. Their lives, your life is depending on you performing and, and you performing the way you were trained, right? Uh, and, and so you, you can't just quit. You know, you get knocked down. It's not an option not to get back up. Uh, and so that was, you know, probably some uh, the first taste of that, right? Came home. I still was trying to figure out what I was going to do as a as a career. And I, and remember, I was I was raised to think that, you know, what I, I probably really need that piece of paper that says diploma at the top for, to have a, a good quote, you know, job, right? And and have that uh, security, have that, you know, those benefits. Uh, and I didn't have that, uh, and so I, I didn't feel like college was for me. And so I thought, man, I just. I don't know what I'm qualified to do, uh, and, and I didn't mind to work hard. I knew that, uh, but uh, policing was a great transition for me, and so I left, uh, you know, I came out of the military or came home. I was still in the Guard uh, at that time, National Guard, and but I was, I started uh, with Kentucky State Police. There were 1,200 applicants for five positions. I was blessed to have one of those. I loved working the road as a police officer. I, I would have done it for free probably the first two years <laughs> if, if I could have still ate something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. But, you know, I, I got married. My wife and I got married probably about a year, year and a half into that. Uh, and then we just ended up passing each other in the hallway the first whole year of marriage. And it was obvious pretty quickly then that, okay, while I enjoy this, this is just not what is best long-term. And I, you know, many of my friends in policing, I mean, it's just, it's such a difficult family position, unfortunately. Right. Uh, and, and many of them have been married, divorced many, many times or, and, or, or just no hopes of getting remarried because it is so difficult on a family. Um, but you know, I just said, you know what, that's just, I don't want that for my wife and I. And we also wanted her to be able to stay at home when we had children. And that's going to be difficult on, say, twenty or 30000 a year, uh, you know, on the salary at that time. So I had an income problem, right? And I wanted to fix that income problem. That was probably one of our, our bigger focuses then in looking for some means to supplement my income. I still felt pretty helpless. I had, you know, such, such limiting beliefs, thinking, you know, there's just, there's nothing else I can do. Like policing is now all I feel qualified to do. And so I, I, that's when I started looking for uh, something, and in came real estate. And this was like 2009 timeframe. Um, let me jump in before we get into you getting into real estate. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you for your service. Um, You're welcome. You know, you know it's, it's, it's weird. So I'm 51, um, and I think in, I did not serve in, in the military. And I think to myself, you know, this um, generation, my generation and, 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 you know, younger generations have not had to go, you know, unless you signed up, there hasn't been like a world war that we've, we've been part of. And, um, 
sometimes we just forget that people are voluntarily, you know, signing up for service. So thank right. you for your service. Um, secondly, that never give up attitude um, and philosophy that is ingrained in you in military, you know, and, and I know you're going to talk about that and, and how that helped in real estate. Um, but I also want to get your opinion. This is just off the cuff a little bit. Um, there are some countries that, you know, require every, every individual to serve at, in the military at some point. And, you know, based on your experience, do you think that that would be a wise and beneficial uh, requirement in the U.S.? You know, I, I do not believe the military is for everyone. And uh, however, our nation would look a lot different if all of our, especially our, our young men, went through boot camp alone, much less even if they ever saw combat. You know, it's just like that's and that was that seems very tough, right? When you're 17, 18 years old, oftentimes you've never experienced like somebody yelling at you like this, right? Or right. or just experiences of of like of being so tired. I mean, more tired than you've ever been in your life and still having to perform, you know, doing things uh, that you've never had to do before, putting yourself in situations where you have to overcome things. Uh, and, and that helps you to grow right in ways. And I talk to my boys about this all the time, uh, you know, about boot camp and that experience like that drill sergeant, he is yelling at you and saying things to you that most, most kids have never heard before, right? Have never been spoken to that way. Right. But you have to realize that he's there to help you, right? He is there to it help you. It doesn't feel like it at the moment. That's right. It I- doesn't feel like that at, the, at that time. But, but he is breaking you down. And I mean, but before long, they're building you up, right? And, right. and they are there and pushing you. And before you know it, I mean, they have taught you so much, you know, about yourself uh, and, and, and just given you like abilities that you already had, but you didn't know you had, you know, you've never been put and pushed in, in those situations. And so would it be beneficial? It would be beneficial, but I, I'm not one to say that, you know, it should be required for everyone. Right. Uh, and, and I would say too, boot camp and military is a lot different now than it was when I went through much less, you know, 20 years before that. Uh, sure. and so, uh, it, yeah, it would be beneficial for most young, young men and women, but, uh, but most men, like I said, young men have never experienced something to help push them kind of into manhood. Hey, let's take more responsibility than probably you've ever had in your life. Right. Uh, you know, let's, uh, let's have to push over that wall. You know, when you are so tired and, and have to do things, even in team situations and, you know, and work together that you, you just haven't had to do before that. I love the entrepreneurial spirit and I love, you know, being able to choose what you want to do in life and where your focus is. And, um, but I think that there's a, a lot in our country that is folk, me focused, oh, you yes. know, um, and the younger generations they're I don't think they're getting exposed to, you know, team and responsibility and discipline um, where something like boot camp or, uh, you know, a, a period of service, I, I've never done it. So I can't say it's easy for me to say, yeah, everybody should have to do it. But um, that's why I wanted, I wanted your opinion because I, I do think that some, um, some, you know, some people that are growing up, they don't get that, you know, they don't get that discipline. They don't get that, uh, responsibility. It, they, it's their loss too. I mean, they're losing right. so much, you know, because of not being pushed in those ways early on and realizing, Hey, you can accomplish more than what you really think you can. 
Right. Absolutely. And I also think um, it's kind of a completely different way of growing up. But, you know, I've, I've talked to some people that have grown up on a farm, you know, and look, as a young kid, you're having to do chores that, you know, a normal kid wouldn't have to do. So um, we digress a little bit, but I wanted to, to um, just get your, your viewpoint on that. So then you go out and you serve, serve as a police officer and you said you were only making 20 to 30 K. So, yeah. You know, you get married and although you love what you're doing, you have, as you mentioned, you have an income problem. Yeah. So where do you go from there? Yeah. And I would, I would uh, say as well from your last comment about, I, I also grew up on a farm. Oh, you uh, I, was did? Making, I was making <laughs> stalls before school, you know, that, I mean, that, many days. So it's, that, that's uh, you funny. know, that, that was in me then, I think, and maybe that was part of that military, all that. But, uh, but you know, in law enforcement, I would say too, Darren, that that never give up mentality was still so important, right? And it had to show from the way I wore my uniform to the way I responded to every dispatch, it it had to show. And I, I, I mean, I would never know this hundred percent, but I, I do believe that there are times where my uniform saved my life, meaning. Wow meaning the diligence and the time that I took to make sure my uniform looked as, as good as it could. The creases were perfect. The buttons were shined, those things, because guess what? Professional bad guys notice those things, right? They know who an easy target is. They know who's squared away because guess what? They want to make sure they're bigger and badder than their opponent, just like anybody else. Sure. Right? And, and they're really good at that typically, not always, but, but they are. And so, I had to make sure that, hey, I was ready to have that mentality, obviously, in everything I did there. Uh, but I, I, like I said, I enjoyed that, but I did have the income problem. And I started searching for what else is going to supplement that uh, in income real estate. And, and I, something I learned, though, this is like 2008, uh, nine time period. And, and when I, uh, I started reading and learning that not only... Darren had one or two people built wealth in real estate, but you know, right. the majority of people's wealth had been built in real estate and not, not only at, let's say multimillionaires or, or billionaires, you know, in my thinking at that time, it was, remember it was so much smaller. Um, it, you know, I, but what I realized was like so many people have built extra income just through some rentals, right? I mean, they may sure. have 10 rentals and Hey, that helps supplement their income and in, in their retirement or takes, puts their kid through school or those things. And so I thought, okay, if all of these people can do it, guess what? I can do something. I can have a few rentals. We can, we can, you know, I never imagined owning an apartment community <laughs> at that time. I would have said you were nuts if you'd have said, you know, that was going to be me one day. But what I did realize is that all these, if all these people can do it, I can do it too. I can do something. So we did. We qu pretty quickly, we bought two triplexes and we, I self-managed. I was policing uh, at night. I was uh, managing these apartments during the day. And we had also bought a home and we were living in it and, and remodeling it at the same time. So you talk about a new stress on a new marriage. It was, it was intense. Absolutely. I know, can at that time. It was like our own boot camp, uh, you know, really. Um, but you know, and my wife had to, she had to wash dishes in the bathtub a lot longer than I would like to admit. But she's she's just an amazing woman. But but we learned a lot, right? We we made a ton of mistakes on those on those two triplexes. Uh, I mean, I was I just I tried to lead you know and manage with my heart, and that man I just got taken advantage of uh, you know by these tenants. And and but what happened soon after is I learned about a federal agent position. And again, I never a federal, imagined federal being, federal what. Federal agent. So I became a federal agent soon okay. after this. And so, I, I, again, I thought that policing was like the only thing I was qualified for. 
And uh, the Lord opened an opportunity for me to meet a guy who was a federal agent. And, and I was in a scale facility on the side of the interstate one day with a bunch of other officers talking. I waited for all these other officers to leave, and this guy was still there. And so I was talking to him. He ended up helping me through the entire hiring process. But all that to say... I became a federal agent that moved us to Roanoke, Virginia. And again, becoming a federal agent is not easy. You know, going into law enforcement is not easy. Another boot camp, going in the military and going overseas. You know, all these things helped shape me. The Lord used in big ways uh, to help me to become an entrepreneur, I think, to do many other things. But becoming a federal agent, that increased my income. That gave me better better, uh, schedule and, you know, benefits, all those things. And soon after, and this is and since you heard the interview, you'll know this, Darren, but most people don't know this, uh, is I started training horses professionally. Uh, right. And so I, I still had a few rentals, and I even had a partner where I, I had a 15 unit. But I, I was, this was a passion of mine since I was a little boy. And I, I love training, and, and it became pretty easy to me. And, and so I built a brand. I started selling horses for more money than, than I ever imagined. And, I mean, doing tricks and all kinds of things that I just, I just never believed were possible for me to do. But what happened, Darren, is, is I was federal agent during the day, and I had another full-time job of training horses at night. I mean, I would run home, change clothes, load the horses up, go to the <laughs> arena. I would have four or five horses to ride. I would give lessons as well. I mean, I would be literally riding horses at midnight, come back home. I mean, it's just this massive cycle of madness, right? Never seeing the kids or my wife. And so my wife and Chelsea and I were on the beach one fall. And we were walking, we were praying, and what I call now thinking time, and it's so important that you do this every day if you can to some extent, but have thinking time, right? Have time where you can reflect, have time where you can say, hey, you know what, is this working? Is it not? Is this where we're both trying to go? Uh, you know, is it going to do that? And, and that's ultimately what we did. We were just praying, walking on the beach, and thinking about, you know what, is this, is this what is best? And it was obvious at that point to both of us that, you know what, this is not what is best. We, we, I am making more money. I am, you know, making it, even training horses, like I said, making more money doing that than I ever imagined. But it was never going to be passive. It was never going to build massive wealth. It was never, you know, if I got injured, guess what? <laughs> it's over with, right? right. Uh, and so w- right then we said, you know what? I, I know real estate can do this for us. I, it could, we had dabbled a little bit, but never been just 100% serious about uh, the real estate business. And so we said, you know what? We, it's now or never. We're going to go do this. And we came home, this is like September. And between Christmas and New Year's, we had sold our farm and sold our house. And we were moving out uh, of that. Uh, and, and, and moving, pulling was out of the, the driveway. Was on, the farm and the house on the same property? I can't remember. It was, it okay. was. Uh, it was. And, and so uh, it was a place we had always dreamed of. Uh, and, and so, and I say that to say when we were pulling out, I mean, I'll just never forget my wife and I both just bawling like babies, you know, uh, it was a, it was a big day for us, right? Uh, we, we were kind of venturing off, but we were committing. And, and I stress that because it was really that level of commitment that took it, uh, that it took that to, to make us go do what was next. Right. Uh, and, and, and that was commercial real estate, you know, and, and I was, and cause what started happening at this same time is I started going to some conferences and I was looking for a mentor and, but I started going to conferences to talk to people and to talk to different people who were mentors. And what I found though, was similar to what I found a few years earlier was that so many people were buying a hundred unit complexes or bigger. And they'd only been in the business a few years. And that was just like that. Mind blowing. That was mind blowing to me. You know, I right. thought, okay. You know what? If all of them can do it, 
hey, I, I can do this too. I'll figure sure. this out, right? Uh, and so we did. We, you know, we bought a small house in town. I built an office in the basement. And, and that's where I practically lived for the next three years. <laughs> uh, seriously. I mean, it, it was quite madness. So we, so we quickly started the daily podcast. Um, and, and I, you know, there were times I would record, say, 12 to 15 interviews in one day, you know, back Holy to back. Holy cow. Back. So two days a month, uh, I would I would have recording days like that. Um, but but it was still for that time period, it was still more than two full time jobs. I mean, just traveling to conferences, uh, more interviews, investor calls after work. I mean, it was quite madness. Um, however, it didn't last forever. Uh, and and I, and I say d- during that time, it was just crucial that. Uh, uh, you know, like that's when that morning routine was more important than ever, right? And I say sure. that to say my wife and I, that was a time when we could connect, right? Early in the morning, that was when we could say, you know, what, what's happening with the kids? What's happening this weekend? Our, you know, how's the business going? And, and But just to say, how are you doing, right? right. Uh, because other than that, I mean, she would literally, Darren, pack me lunch to go to the basement to work. Uh, and so, and, and I'm not proud of this, but my boys knew they wouldn't see me until maybe Saturday afternoon or Sunday, even though I'm in the house. And, and so uh, it was just a time of, of quiet madness. Uh, but, you know, it just, it was very intense. Uh, but thankfully it didn't last forever. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll end that story with a, on a high point because we are back out on a farm now. And, and believe it or not, I actually have bought back my best horse that I ever sold. And so oh, no way, really? Is, yeah, he's teaching my boys now. Uh, and so it's, yeah, it's just a sweet story just the lord's kindness to our family and and so um i mean now i mean i just never imagined it during now like i said before right when we got started how many units we have and i mean our team's growing like mad we're hiring a, a asset manager starting uh, next week that's just amazing and an acquisitions director on the way investor relations people we're fixing to start hiring i mean it's just um the lord's been kind uh, a lot of growth fantastic hey uh, let me ask you a few things uh, based on what you said one was you're the first person that said this and it's, and i'm a big believer in it i've i've tried to tell my kids this um but they don't i guess see the value in it but um think like actually go to a quiet place and just think like That's i right. think I think that so many people are just caught up in busyness that they don't ever have time to think. And I don't know. I don't know if people are afraid to think or like, I don't know how to think. It's kind of like people, you know, when you tell people to pray for the first time, they may not know how to pray. But like thinking is so key because one idea, you know, can completely change the trajectory of, of where you go and where you focus. So talk a little bit about, you know, why you see value in thinking and like, how do you do it? And do you form it as part of your habits and that sort of thing? I'll recommend, I, I didn't, I didn't know this book at this time, but I'll recommend a book while we're talking about this. Cause this yeah. is where I got that term thinking time. Uh, and it's called the road less stupid by Keith Cunningham. Uh, he's a, a real estate guy, business guy. He lost it all one time, come back. And I mean, every chapter in this book is like its own, uh, business segment on, Hey, you need to be doing these things. And, and, but every, at the end of every chapter, he says, now go have thinking time. Right. And he just encourages that. And, and I, like I said, I didn't know that at that time, but what, what going to the beach caused was that like space. Right. Right. You know, it's time to forget about the farm, to forget about the horses, to forget about the day job uh, and us to just be there together. Right. There there was no 
you know, th- nothing else pulling on us at that time. And it, it allowed space for thinking time. Uh, and when I say now, you know, like when I have time to just think, I can tell oftentimes that's when I know there's not a ton of appointments lined up, I can be the most creative, right? right. I'll have new ideas. That's when I can start implementing new things, uh, you know, or, or see things in the business. Oh, I've never noticed that before, you know, uh, but you have to allow space for it. And I, and I think at first you feel like, well, that's just not productive enough. Not right? productive. Or, Some uh, people yeah. think it's not productive. That's right. right. That's right. That's right. But when you can get in a routine of that, but, but even write, start writing down a few things. And even in the book, he talks about thinking time and some specific ways to do it. Like he has a chair in a specific part of the house with a specific notepad, a specific pen, and he'll even put dots on the page. And, and he even says like the dots on the page start requiring his mind to like think of something to put there. You know, it's like, don't just have a blank page, like at least put a dot or put a number or something, uh, you know, or have some things you're working on that you can start jotting some things down just to get the, the mind going. Uh, and, and I have just seen that time and time again, and I've not been as faithful to do it every day. However, in the morning times, I still see that, okay, my wife and I will we'll be praying or we'll be reading, you know, reading together scripture. And, and then there's times we're talking about the business. And, and it's just so cool that like, she's not in real estate, but it's pretty cool how she'll have insight into things. Sure. That, that are she so has a different perspective. Yeah. That's right. She has That's a different right. perspective. And, and then you, well, you know, the cool part about being an entrepreneur is that you can, you know, take it in and you can say, you know what? I understand your view, but I'm not going to do it. And other things you're like, wow, that was a great idea. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, try to implement that. So yeah. um, that's fantastic. Yeah. I remember going last it was last January. My wife and I went on vacation and we went to a really nice, really nice resort. And I get up early and she sleeps in and I'd go down and I'd read. And I was, and I was like, after that week, I was like, holy cow. Like I just felt so charged and I had a completely different focus on where I was, where I was going. And if I didn't have that time set aside, you know, I may, I may not have had done that. So I think it's so important. So another thing I want you to talk about is you've mentioned it probably four or five times is God, you know, God's influence in your life and, you know, in the hard times and look, everybody's life, we have crossroads, you know, decision points. And um, it sounds like you and your wife are, are people that will um, seek guidance from, from God. And so, you know, I'm, I want to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, we we are followers of Jesus, and our marriage, our business, our life would not be like it is without Him uh, guiding and directing. And and that is one of the biggest things that when I was talking about, uh, like asking my wife, well, she's not in real estate, uh, but it, you know, and if you if you are a Christian, then you'll know what I'm talking about. But but the Holy Spirit lives in her, right? Uh, and, and you know what that our, our you know Christ, he, he, you know, He knows everything about our business, right? He knows everybody I'm going to talk to today. He knows every in and out of everything, right? Uh, every detail of our life, uh, and but He speaks through her as well, right? Uh, or He speaks through my business partner, you know, that also knows the Lord. Um, and so uh, the Lord has changed everything for us. And and I, I'll share this, uh, my. My wife and I were raised in church, but we never had a relationship with with Christ. You know, we were uh, we were quote Christians, right? If you ask us, sure. uh, but if you'd asked me who Jesus was, I I couldn't have told you hardly anything. You know, uh, there were they were in my life didn't reflect that either. You know, and then then the Lord uh, the Lord used some friends of ours uh, in a massive way to show us hey what that looked like and how how sweet 
that relationship with Christ is, uh, but really uh, the, just the depravity of sin and my need for a Savior. Uh, and, and our eyes were opened in a whole new way. The Lord saved us. And, uh, and, and I mean, it's just everything's been different, you know, since then, right? I mean, my, our relationship, my wife and I, uh, you know, to everything, right? I mean, even our, uh, and I didn't share about it when I, when I was sharing about our story, but even our desire with three children through adoption, uh, and the Lord has just used that in a massive way to put a big why, a big mission behind our business. And uh, when we moved to Roanoke, uh, and I'll share quickly, but I, when we moved to Roanoke, uh, my wife and I had been married maybe a year, two years, two and a half years at that time. We heard a pastor talk about how they had adopted. We were pretty new to believing in Jesus or as our Savior at that time. and, and uh, But we'd heard this pastor talk about how they had adopted and how there's 150 plus million orphans in the world, how it costs 40 to 60 grand to bring a child home through adoption. Uh, we just, we couldn't believe it, right? We'd never been exposed to adoption. We, we were raised in a one-stop-lot town. We didn't know anybody that was adopted before, never even talked about it. And But on our way home from this event, we said, we were just thinking about it, praying about it, and we were like, well, why would we not adopt? I mean, it just seemed like the right thing to do. It seemed that simple to us, and I'm thankful uh, for our ignorance in the process, because uh, the process is quite <laughs> daunting. Um, but... Man, you know what? We started the process a week later. Within a week, we had turned in our application to adopt from Ethiopia. Wow. Two, two years later to the month, our first son, Samuel, came home from Ethiopia. Uh, a year later, our second son, Elijah, came home. And then we also have a daughter now, Eden Joy, who's two and a half. Uh, she also came to our family through adoption. And so, you know, the first couple processes, though, you imagine that expense, right? On that first salary I told you about, or even as a federal agent, I mean, it's like everything I'm making a year, right? You know, sure. and, and it's like, how are we going to come up with this? But the Lord would provide in just amazing ways that we could not even expect. And we did fundraisers. We raised over $38,000 for our second adoption uh, and numerous other fundraisers. But what we started to figure out is, now, obviously, there's such a big need, right? There's so many children that need families and need parents. And But most people who would be great parents, you know, it's that exact response there. And they say, well, Whitney, that's more than I make in a year. How can we even, where, where would we even start to do that, right? So it's just not even an option. They just don't even second guess it. And so we created a foundation that helps these families. Uh, and so financially, and so we committed half of our personal profits to this foundation. Uh, and so we're giving grants now to families to, I mean, big grants to help them through fi financially through this adoption process. Uh, and so we've, we've hired a guy now that's helping us with foundation, uh, you know, because so we can do that well. I can't physically be everywhere and help all those families, but we want to make sure we're taking as good a care of them as possible. I think we partnered with 10 families last year. Nine of them, I think now ha have actually brought a child home. So it's just, wow. it's so encouraging to see that happen. And, and I hope we triple that this year. Uh, and so we've just now started more marketing for the foundation. Uh, and, and I, I mean, I see our investors, I see lots of people, you know, they want to partner in that, right? hundred percent of their donations goes towards helping a family. All right, and, and back to your question about the Lord. I mean, our, our goal is for these, these children to be placed into families where they can hear about Jesus, right? That is their ultimate need. Uh, you know, more than water, more than shelter, they need Jesus. And so that, that is our goal for these children. But, but they, they need a loving home too. They, and that's so that's our, that's our goal through the foundation. What, what, what is the name of the foundation? So the name of the foundation is the LifeBridge Foundation, uh, but I will say we're in the process of rebranding that, just in case anybody's listening to that. You can find it at lifebridgecapital.com. You go to the About page all the way at the bottom. You'll see a little more story about, you know, a little story about my wife and I and, and be able to find the website there, uh, but it's thelifebridgefoundation.com. Okay, so you've got the LifeBridge Foundation is 
the for the for the adoption, um, and then you have LifeBridge Capital, which is the investment arm right. into right. multifamily. Okay, first, hey, that is freaking phenomenal, <laughs> you know, and and that's probably another way that you saw it got at work is like you decided, hey, hey, I'll put fifty percent of the profits to this, and had no idea it would grow to this this level. Um, so I live, I live in the Dallas area. I've been here for like 11 years uh, prior. I was in, I'm originally an East coast guy from Connecticut, but I lived in South Florida for like 14 years before Dallas. And, um, my wife and I, we were part of a, you know, uh, got associated with a, with a foundation called the Sheridan house. And there was a gentleman that, that started that foundation, um, Bob Barnes and, he said something similar to what you did. He said, he laughs about it because he's like, okay, God, you know, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to put all the profits of the book to, you know, help the missions. And, and he's like, I had no idea that I would write 10 books and then it would be, you know, published all over the world. And, you know, the, the amount of money that came in through those books, you know, and, and he got all, you know, 99% of it was, was given away but he got to see God work through that, which was pretty amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. You know, I believe like, uh, like stewardship includes like, uh, not just that 10%, right. But, it, but it's like, what do you do with the other 90%? Right. And I just believe in, you know, in scripture, there's, there's tons of places that show uh, where God, uh, he honors people who like are, are faithful, you know, are faithful stewards. Right. Uh, and, and with their resources and that's not just financially, but that's their, their time as well. Right. Absolutely. So we digressed again, um, but talk a little bit about um, now you get into the real estate side and you, you fully commit, which I, I think that that's an important piece too. You know, look, whether you're going to be a passive investor or you're going to, you know, try to get into buying real estate, you know, you have to commit, you know, so you, you actually made the decision and you committed you sold your house and your farm. Now what'd you do? Yeah. And I would say too, at that same time, we were starting our third adoption process. And so we knew that there was going to be a massive expense there. Right. And I was started, I was, I was hiring a mentor to help me. And, and, and we were like, I don't know where all the money's going to come from you know, <laughs> to do right. these things. So selling the farm was helpful, but it also like, that was a passion of mine. I enjoyed doing that, but I just stress it to say, you know what, it was helpful to cut that off. Right. And to say, you know what, Somebody calls me to train the horse. I just can't now. Like I right. just don't even have a, I don't even have the stuff anymore to do it, you right. know? And so I have to be committed to the real estate business. Uh, but, and it, it just took that level of commitment. Uh, but what happened then, Darren, was, you know, the daily podcast was birthed and started going to conferences and started meeting all these people like I was talking about. Uh, and, and I was just encouraged in so many ways. I would come home so motivated, right? Hey, if all these people can do it, I can do it too. I can figure this out. Um, but what also happened is, you know, just growing my network, right? That that podcast pushed me, Darren, to hire people and to grow a team. It it, it grew my network very fast, you know, you know, seven days a week, right? I mean, it's, you know, you imagine all the people that I was connecting with, um, you know, very fast, 15 people in a day. And I know I couldn't remember all That's, of them, but it's crazy. It's, you know, you can remember the ones you, you know, you want to connect with again, or you want to follow up with. And, and a lot of those people became mentors as well, right? They didn't know it. Um, but even through the podcast, it became my own university, right? I could, if, if we're working on a project and I had a question, well, guess what's probably going to come up during, during an interview, right? Right. I mean, absolutely. That, yeah. And so that, that became my own university. It costs as much as a university degree as well. Um, but 
that pushed me in ways that I never imagined. So I got to speak in front of more people than I ever imagined in larger stages. And, you know, I, I just never saw that coming, you know, when that happened. But what happened too is I started being able to raise money, right? Uh, meeting all these investors and working on all those connections and, and uh, you know, showing them, hey, you know, uh, just building the relationship so, so we can eventually work together more and more. I met a business partner and, and who was focused on the, the deal side, focused on acquisitions, right, and broker relations. And so when we were able to partner, I mean, it's like you turn the jet engine on, right? I mean, it was all of a sudden the igniters came on and, you know, I had this part of the business and he had that part and we were like, boom, you know, uh, we could move forward. I mean, our first project together uh, was uh, 28 million, uh, 28, 30 million, um, you know, and so that's not common, right? <laughs> that's not right. common. But, but we raised, I think, around 7 million, I think, for that project, um, you know, which is also not common. Uh, and so, and, and I go back to even our conversation. I, I'm so grateful you asked too, just about the Lord in this, because that would not have happened. I just, all the connections the Lord has allowed me to make. And I see that even more now. I mean, people that want to partner with us now, it doesn't make sense, right? They could partner with anybody in our industry and they partner with us, uh, you know, and, and some that everybody listens would know of uh, right now, you know, if I said their name, but, but so it's just, it just doesn't make sense other than what the, you know, the Lord's hand in it. But that's what something he did through the podcast, me traveling, meeting people, following up with people uh, and, and just going and not giving up. Fantastic. Well, not giving up. That goes back to the military stuff, right? Um, right. So, Hey, if, listeners, if you don't know Whitney Sewell, he's got a podcast. It's the real estate syndication show with Whitney Sewell. And you're up to close to 1,200 episodes. We are, yeah. I mean, that's crazy to think about. That's your university. You've talked to almost 1,200 people about real estate and, you know, learning um, each on each one of those interviews. And then, like you said, building your network. So a, a few things I want to ask you. One Talking to 1,200 people, or just shy of it, um, what are the biggest learning lessons? Mm. That's a hard one. A lot of people say, what's been the best show, you know? And I'm like, yeah, right, oh, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, you know, I know that that's tough. it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever read, um, um, uh, what was it, The Tribe? Um, Tribe of Mentors? Or- yes. Um, he had two books, but one Empress. of them I thought was better. Yeah, one. Yeah, one of them is better. Four hour not, work week. not the four hour work week. It was the one with the interviews. Um, he took off his podcast, and I I thought it was phenomenal because you feel like you're getting into the heads of all these other people, and um, so there's wisdom there. So, all right, I put you on the spot. Just a few nuggets, that, a few learning lessons from. I don't want to say what's the best show because you're yeah really and that's so hard right after that right. i mean it's hard to remember them all as right. well some definitely stand out and and oftentimes it's i would say too it's helpful guys who have been interviewed a bunch right uh, you know they're very polished on on presenting and whatnot excuse me but oftentimes it's it's ones that it's not always this like amazing piece of advice either it's like these three things help me to do this thing sure right? Uh, and one, even this was very early on, was um, oh, uh, uh, Michael Becker. Uh, I've had him on a f- numerous times now, but I remember he was like 
the third person I interviewed or fifth person I interviewed or something. And I, I was so thankful because obviously he was very polished at the time and I was very new to interviewing and, um, but he made it very easy. Right. And, and he produced a good show. Right. But, but quality content for the listeners. Right. And then I've had him back, you know, since then, but then, but they've been there, you know, he's not the only one there's been numerous. Um, but I would say too, Oftentimes it was, it was to the ones who were speaking into what I was dealing with at the moment, you know, and and I know that's not very specific. Um, but oftentimes it's, yeah, in doing 12 to 15 a day, it's just hard to, I'll I'll give you one example. So I've, I'm only on episode where I'm in the eighties and, but, and one thing I, I talk to people a lot about is fear and how they conquered their fear and how they took action, even though they were afraid. And mm. so most of these highly accomplished investors, you know, they, they'll admit to me like, yeah, Darren, man, I was, I was afraid. I was afraid on my first single family deal. I did. I was afraid on my first multifamily f- deal. I did. Uh, and now I'm doing, you know, 30, $50 million deals and I'm not, afraid because I've done it so many times, but here's what they say is I've heard it consistently from a lot of different people is that they thought to themselves, what is the worst thing that can happen? Right. Am I going to die? You know, like it, and can I live with that worst case scenario? Because I think that, you know, this is for the listeners that are, you know, look, they're just thinking about getting into the first, you know, passive deal, but they're scared, you know, or this is, you know, the, the investor that wants to, you know, buy real estate for the first time, but they're scared. And all these other people are scared too, but they think, what's the worst thing that can happen? And can I live with that? And then they think the opposite. What's the upside? And they're yeah. like, holy cow, the upside is so much better. Yeah. I, so I'm there, glad there's, you said that. I can remember some specific times where somebody said that to me early on. And I think it's so helpful because early on too, is when I, you receive the most oppos- opposition, right, from family or friends who yeah. aren't willing to take that leap or that, right. that risk, you know, that so-called risk that you feel it's a big risk anyway. Uh, but it's exactly what you just said. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Living in America in most of our families, like you're going to have a place, even if you lost your home, you're gonna still going to have a warm place to sleep that night and probably food too, right? I right. mean, more times than not. Uh, and, and yes, that stinks. But man, what if you never tried? You know, what if you, if you never try, you know? And so that's why we were willing to sell the farm. Uh, you know, it's like, we'll have another farm one day, but man, if we don't do this right now, we're just going to keep in this daily grind. We're going to keep the W2 and just be content, right, with that. And, and we'll always wonder what would have been, right? Could we have done it, right? Uh, and so I'm so thankful that we did, that we were willing to take that so-called risk and not listen to all the naysayers who had never done it before, right? Uh, and, and I'll share with you too, during that time, I met with two, two people that everybody would also know probably listening to this in our industry. They're very big names. I was at two different uh, conferences sharing with them that I was going to do a daily podcast. Both of these individuals said, Whitney, you're, you're crazy. Don't do that. (laughs) You know, know, up to this point, I had been very gung-ho, like, no, I can make this happen. I'm going to do it, you know, but considering who these two people were, I thought, well, maybe I should reconsider this. Right. And so I, so I was speaking to my mentor about it and he, and he said, I mean, just so quick, uh, this is why a mentor is so crucial. Uh, some kind of mentor, somebody to speak into you uh, when this happens. Right. Uh, and I was telling him this and he said, Whitney, that that's why you have to do it because it's too much work for most people. And I was like, okay, now I'm back on track. 
right? Now I'm back in, I, I got it. Okay, we're going to go do this, right? Uh, and, and so that was, anyway, I, I needed that kick in the tail every once in a while, just like anyone else, you know? That That's huge, you know? I mean, that's that's the the people that will do things that most people won't you know, are the ones that, that end up having, you know, exponential success. Um, That's right. So, all right. So for my learning, this is, uh, yeah, it may be helpful to me more than, than some other listeners, but you, you do have a daily podcast, um, which, you know, I have a weekly podcast and I just think that that is a ton of work. Um, how did you, you know, what's the biggest one thing you did to save yourself time? Yeah, that's a good question. And I get it often. And, but I would say too, you know, if I told you, Darren, that, um, you know, six months from now, you're going to have to run a marathon or let's say just the 26, whatever miles, you know, uh, for most people, they'd be like, Oh my goodness. You know, I I don't know that I can get that done. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, it'll say we got to that day. And then I said, you know what, it's only, it's only 12 miles. You know, if you've been practicing for 26 miles, you say, okay, no problem. I can do that 12 miles. But if I had said 12 miles in the very beginning, you'd have been still just as stressed about that. Sure. Right? And so think about, you know, where you set your mind on those things. What are you limiting yourself by? Because oftentimes there's somebody else already doing it, right? Uh, There's somebody else that's already figured these things out. Uh, And sometimes when you can just, you don't even have to know how they did it, but just to know that somebody else has done it sometimes is is helpful to know. However, I would would say too, deciding to do a daily podcast changed everything for me in so many ways. Um, But I had no idea the level of commitment it was going to take. I mean, it was just, it was such a massive commitment for those first two to three years. Um, but one thing it helped me with, though, that I didn't see coming was that if I had done a weekly podcast, I would have tried to have done all the edi- audio editing, the video editing, the show notes, the posting it. I-, I would have tried to finding all the guests, you know, all these things, components of co- producing a good podcast. I would have said, you know what, I'm going to save some money. I can get all that done myself. Right. right? Most likely, I would have gotten frustrated. I would have gotten behind and, you know, would have been halfway produ- produced, probably would have quit, right? And, and who knows if I'd still be in real estate today. Um, but knowing that I was doing seven days a week, that wasn't even an option. I right. Knew, right. I, There's I knew, no way you could do it. It wasn't even possible. And, and right. I talk about it often and I call it like I overcommitted, but I call it in a good way, right? I overcommitted in a way that it was not possible for me to do those things. I have never edited, this may be surprising, but I've never edited the first piece of audio or video and I don't want to. Like, right. I don't even know how to do it, you know, um, and, and I don't want to do it, right? It's not the highest and best use of my time. It wasn't the highest, best use of my time then, and it definitely is not now, but I had to build a team. And so what happened is, guess what? Immediately I had to start building processes. Well, how are we going to get this many shows done? And I had to personally think through those things. And then I brought, I brought a virtual assistant on to help me think through that and start doing things. Well, then all of a sudden I had five virtual assistants, right? And they're all doing something different for the podcast. They're all over the world, um, you know, and, and I'm managing this show, right? And we're managing the production. Everybody had a different skill set. Uh, and so I had to learn how to hire people. I had to learn how to find people with specific skill sets that I needed, uh, and, and that's how we did it. I mean, we built that team. 
I've not all, you know, I, I, not, I probably about 200 shows in, believe it or not, my audio editor couldn't keep up. Uh, and so I, I had to, I had to, I switched to a production company. It didn't go the best, switched to another one. They did amazing until I actually brought it back in house again. Uh, and now I've built a, we have like 10 full-time VAs now in the Philippines who are, they're, they're producing my show. We're producing numerous people's shows now as well. But because of what you just said, like, you know, we, we started building the processes and then somebody just asked me, well, Whitney, could you, you want to produce our show? And I was like, well, it wouldn't be that much more to take on another weekly show. You know, it's like we're already producing so many. It's not that much to throw one more in per week, you know, or now it's numerous more. But but still, because of the processes, um, you know, it, it allowed us to keep scaling. It allowed me to think in different ways than if I'd tried to do a weekly podcast. Yeah, that's huge. Um, on the real estate side, a story from from one of the guests was, you know, based on what you're saying, like, you know, overcommitting and setting really big audacious goals. And then, you know, even if you don't hit that goal, it's still bigger than what you thought you were going to do. Um, so he was, he was looking to double his unit count every year. So like he did two units and then the next year he wanted to do four and the next unit he wanted to do eight and, and et cetera. And, and so he gets to like, I don't know, year three and, you know, he's going to have to do eight units. And he's like, what if I change that number? And he, I'm like, what'd you change to? He's like, 800. From eight units to 800 units. And I'm like, holy cow, that's a huge shift. I'm like, where'd you, where'd you end up? He's like, 464 or something like that. <laughs> and so he didn't hit that's the 800. Example. But he was so much further than eight units. I mean, like, you know, can you... So that's... That, you know, you answered it very similar. So that's, that's great. Um, I like that. Um, hey, talk about, I've seen you, um, you know, you do, you're doing deals, you're, you're raising capital, um, you know, but a lot of people are focused on deal specific syndications and a few people, including yourself, have kind of moved to setting up funds. And so talk about, the fund versus, you know, individual syndications. What do you like? What do you don't like? What are some of the challenges? Yeah, a great question. And it's a learning curve to say the least, right? You know, uh, shifting a business model like that. Uh, so we, just to give a little context, you know, we've done single asset syndications on every project, you know, up until this large fund, uh, you know, about the middle of last year that we launched. So how many years were you were you doing the syndication deal specific? Uh, what? Three years. Three, so three. So three years. Yep. Okay. Go yeah. ahead. So two. Yeah. Two to three years. Uh, and then. Uh, and then we say, you know what? Uh, be, because of the market too. Because of uh, the lack of deal flow and things like that. Like w we could see the benefit in having a fund uh, because it makes us that much more competitive. Uh, and so I, the brokers that we work with every day, like they had already seen us raise tens of millions of dollars in a few hours, like numerous times. They knew we could do that. However. When you're talking, when they're talking to a seller and they can say, you know what, this buyer, like he already has $20 million, like ready to go in the bank. Right? It is, it is a very different conversation then, right. Versus, well, I've seen them raise the money numerous times. I know they can do it. Uh, you know, but when you have a seller that's definitely wants to sell, definitely needs to sell, they're on a timeline, time crunch, which oftentimes seems like they are, uh, you know, they want the certainty of close. And we thought, okay, you know, if we can do a fund, we can have certainty of close. 
right? Uh, and so we're going to be a, a bigger player then or seen as a bigger player. Uh, we're going to be uh, be taken more seriously as well, even though we've done many deals, you know, with these brokers. Uh, it's just a different avenue. So, but it's a it's a change it's a change of mindset for our investors as well. Yep. And, and and people think, well, there's some investors that love this and some that love, they do. However. When you're, you've, you condition your investor base, right? They know the types of deals that you do. Maybe many of them have invested with you numerous times because they like what you're doing. And sure. then all of a sudden you change it, right? Uh, you know, and so you have to think through that. And, and obviously 506B versus 506C. And I'll tell you a little trick that we did. Uh, and so we could do both. Um, but what we did was we launched a 506C fund, right? Which means only accredited investors. We could advertise, right? As the biggest thing. So we do have to verify all the accreditation statuses of every investor for the 506C fund, right? So what happens though, is we, we launch this fund, we raise a bunch of money. Uh, we, and then finally we say, okay, this is a date we're closing the fund. All right. But then, but then what we did after that was we launched another entity. Okay. We call it a special purpose vehicle or SPV. Okay. And, and it's an entity that is a 506B entity. All right. And so uh, in what happens is now this entity, we put it back out just like a fund. It wasn't a fund, but it's like a fund operates the same way. But what happens is we will raise $5 million in this entity, this 506B entity, meaning now our sophisticated investors can also invest in this, this entity. And because it, and this may be too technical, you can tell me, Darren, if it is, but, uh, but if I can get the, the, uh, the value of this entity to 5 million, all of a sudden it becomes an accredited investor. And guess what? It invests in our fund. And so it was a way for, uh, for all oh, of our sophisticated cool. investors. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I've had, this, I've had, I've had so many sophisticated investors invest in every project nearly that we've done, right? I sure. mean, it's so loyal. And when we launched that fund, so many of them were like, are you serious? <laughs> you know, like, like we can't invest in that, you know? And, and I hate that, right? I, right. I hate that. I wanted to have that opportunity for them. So I was like, give it two months. There's going to be another opportunity, you know? Um, and so there was, and so we launched that, that entity, they could all invest in that. We get it to 5 million. Then all of a sudden it becomes an investor in the fund. Right. And so it's all legal. And, and then that's another reason too, why we have a, an obvious close date for the 506 C fund before the 506 B opens. So the, you know, all of our documentation can be very clear. And, you know, if you're in this business, you understand why the SEC, uh, you know, you want to ensure that your documentation of that when you're advertising, when you're not, uh, you know, when you're taking uh, sophisticated investors, you know, or need that pre-existing relationship and documenting that versus when you don't have to, uh, is very clear. And we wanted to make sure that there was no gray area there whatsoever. Let, let me ask you um, a qualifying question on that. So you, you closed the, the 506 C fund, let's just say you close it December 31st, and then the 506B opens on January 1st? Uh, there that, was probably a week to two week gap there on purpose. Uh, okay. So January 15th, the 506B opens, but if the fund is already closed, how does the 506B invest in the fund? So what happens is uh, it depends on how the fund is structured too, right? I mean, obviously we can control how, you know, when people can invest, when people can't, you know, in the fund, or we set those timelines. And so on our legal docs, they had till the end of the year. Right. Okay. Uh, but, but purposely on, on everything else, like we said, we're not accepting another investor after such and such date. I don't remember what that was exactly, but, uh, but let's say it was November the 15th. Sure. You know, we said, okay, November the 15th, no more investors are coming into the fund. It's done. Like we, and, and two, part of that is announcing it, right, to our investors, to everybody, like that it's obvious 
Um, like if we were in, ever investigated, it's obvious that we blasted it out to everybody. It is closed at this time, right? We're not still taking people. We weren't trying to, you know, have a back door into that. Right. Uh, however, our legal, do our documentation showed that it could be open through the end of the year. Okay. So we had that option. Uh, and so, but, but knowing that we were going to do this, this entity, uh, and it was going to be closed before the end of the year and it would invest, you know, gotcha, in the fund, gotcha, gotcha, you know, gotcha. so. Uh, so that was the whole purpose there. And, but the, the, the goal behind a lot of that, there was the documentation, right? To yeah. show if we're, hey, if we're ever investigated, we can say, this is, you know, this is our intention. This is what happened sure. exactly on these dates, when we could advertise, when we couldn't, pre-existing relationship, you know, all those things. All right. Another question on fund. Um, you raise capital and you close the fund. Do you raise all the capital before you go out and buy anything? Good question. Mm -hmm. So uh, a big holdup for your investors are going to be, oh, I don't want a blind fund. I'm not investing in any blind fund. I want to know what that, you know, when an investor has been used to seeing the deal and right. liking the, you know, investing in the specific deal, he's going to say, oh, you know, I'd really, I want to see the deal first. I'm not going to invest in a blind fund. Many of them did anyway, because they, they just, we have a relationship with them, right? They right. trust us already. It's like, yep, you know, here's another hundred thousand to it, whatever it was. There, there will be a few that say, you know what? I just, I want to, I want to know what the deal is. And yeah. so, and we purposely timed it this way, but what we did is we had two deals under contract before we launched the fund. Oh, you did? We did. So we had two deals under contract so we could say, hey, it's not completely blind. You already see these two, you know, this is our plan. These are the types of deals we've been doing. That's what we plan to do in the fund. And guess what? We already have two of those under contract. You can see those right here. Uh, you know, and they were actually in two different markets, you know, in the two markets that we wanted to be in for the fund. Uh, and so that was, it wasn't completely blind. And I think that was helpful, right? Uh, that they could see those two deals. And actually, while I, I believe, if I remember right, while the fund was still open, another deal closed, you know, in the fund. So it was still a little bit of time while it was open and there was like the three deals closed in the fund. Um, and so it wasn't completely blind, but that is going to, you are going to receive pushback from that, especially depending on how your investor base is conditioned, right? right. And that, and I think that there's a, there's a growth transition there for most operators, right? You, you, most are used to doing single asset syndications for a while. And then it's, then it's like, you know what, we've got enough track record. We've done enough deals. We've got a big enough investor base. I think we can do a fund, right? Well, it's, it's funny though, you say that, but I've interviewed a lot of syndicators that have a ton of ton of units. And I ask them the question, you know, why haven't you started fun? And, and like, I hear silence, like it's, <laughs> it's, and I think to myself, you know what, it comes down to fear again. You yeah, know, it's it like these people were, you know, afraid to do their first syndication, but then now they've got five or six or seven syndications done. And, and now they're afraid if I do a discretionary fund that, what if the investors don't come? Yeah. And I'll tell yeah. you one way that we would co combat that is like we had already done enough deals to where, you know, we, we knew we could raise eight to 10 million in a few hours typically or have, have, have uh, commitments for that. Right. Uh, and so if let's say we launched the fund and a few weeks in, there's like $2 million in there and we're getting pretty nervous, you know, uh, it, which didn't happen. Thank the Lord. Um, but if that, if that happened, well, guess what? We're going to close the fund. All of a sudden we, we're going to have some single asset syndications, you know? And, I mean, whoever invested in the fund would still get the same thing. We would still partner on those same deals probably. 
However, we'd start doing some single asset syndications and raise the money that way. Right. right. Uh, and so there's kind of a backup plan still, of course, you know, cause the first time you just don't know, it's kind of like the first time raising money. Yeah. You don't really know what those, you know, everybody said, Oh yeah, I'm good for, I'm looking to place a million dollars. I hear that all the time. And I say, well, have you ever raised money before? No, no. But that's right. what they've told me. I was like, well, count on about a fourth of that. Maybe, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah so. It's, it is a different animal. So, um, all right. No, one more fun question if you raise the capital on the fund and then you keep it open for a while and you start buying assets, because I've seen funds do multiple different things. Some will raise all the money and then they go buy, you know, one or two or three properties to, you know, fulfill all the money that they've raised. Um, other funds will keep the fund open for a year or two or three years and they'll continue to buy assets along the way. And so, you know, from an investor standpoint, you know, if somebody invests right away, you know, right when you open the fund versus investing six months later when you've already bought two or three deals, how do you provide different valuations for each? Great question. Uh, And so there are two very different ways to operate a fund. Uh, And so I'd say typically you invest, you know, in a large fund, I'll say, you know, some operators, they may raise a half a million dollars, I mean, half a billion dollars, I mean, you know, in a massive fund, right, and go buy just portfolios, all kinds of things. Uh, But that may be over a couple of years. Right. And so the person that invested early on is typically going to get some kind of bonus, right. Or they're going to, they're going to earn more for a longer period of time than that person that signed up a year later. Right. Uh, But, but the way we structured our fund was it was open is similar to a single asset syndication really, or single asset fund. Well, it's open for this period of time. You know, this is when you can invest. It's going to close. You start earning on January 1st. Okay. So it's kind of like we close the deal. Uh, you know, and this is when you start earning, you know, and so everybody's earning the same. Um, and, and so people can't invest now in the fund, right? It's not open to invest. Uh, and, and so uh, you can do it both ways. The, uh, the, uh, I think leaving it open for a long period of time is an accounting nightmare, uh, you know, and K1 right. nightmare and your, your CPA is going to hate you, but, um, but it's part <laughs> of the business. Uh, you know, if right. you plan to do that type of fund, then right. fine. Right. But we did not plan to do that. Keeping a fund open from one year to the next is a tax nightmare, you know, in, in accounting burden, like I said. Uh, and so we didn't want to do it that way. Uh, but we also, like I said, had the deals, had a few deals under contract. We knew we were going to have it open for so long. We wanted these deals in there and we wanted to close it. And so now guess what? We have a track record, right? We've done a fund. Now we'll have fun too soon, you know, probably in the next few months, right? That we'll have fund number two. And, and believe it or not, there's this psychology thing to people, you know, it's like, oh, well, this, if this is fun eight, well, right. they're pretty experienced, right? Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's like this thing that happens, right? It, but if we had fund one for two years, it's still going to be fund one. Right. And also what happens is your investors who are used to investing in all these deals, I mean, like some of our investors, it's like they may put 200 in every deal. They don't, I mean, like right as, right as we put it out, right? But they're going to do that with a fund as well, unfortunately. So we put a fund out and it may be across five or six projects. I mean, they still put 200,000 in, right. and, you know, and it may be, you know, it's a lot larger. Right. Uh, and so there's this mental hurdle that they have to get past that says, you know, well, okay, this is their next deal. I'm going to invest in it too. Right. And so it's this, I feel like for us, it's going to be this transition uh, to where, yes, we'll do even larger funds. Uh, but as our network grows, our investor base grows, uh, even the trust, right. And the loyalty are between us and our investors grows. We're going to be able to raise more and more money in a fund. We'll probably have funds that are open longer, like you're talking about. Um, but 
I, I want to like condition our investors a little bit, right? And, yeah. and, and I, I want us to even have more of a track record because we are also learning a lot more about operating a fund, you know, during that process as well. That, that makes a ton of sense. So what is the next big stretch goal for, for you, man? You keep on pushing the boundaries. <laughs> you know, right now we're in a big hiring frenzy. I mean, we just hired an asset manager actually starts Monday. Maybe I mentioned that acquisitions guy. I mean, we know the acquisitions guy. I think we're going to hire uh, and, and more to come on acquisitions as well. We're fixing to hire uh, investor relations people. We're going to start actually promoting those job positions um, and, you know, I think like over the next, uh, so I, I think my business partner and I said we wanted like a half a billion in assets under management by the end of 2023. Uh, and I think we're probably going to hit that halfway through this year. Wow. Uh, and, and so we, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. Probably, mean, before, probably before that, actually. Half before a that. billion in assets under management. And this is all coming from, you know, when we started the story is like making 20, 30 grand as a police officer, like trying to figure out how are you going to do it? Maybe I'll rent out, you know, you bought two triplexes. I mean, it, you just can't see it. And look, I, I think that that's such a big thing for people to understand is that, you know, if you don't take the first step, all the follow on steps don't come. You know, so That's whether right. it's getting into real estate or whether it's starting your own business, you know, you, you have to take the step, you have to, you know, take the risk or else all the things that layer on top don't happen. I mean, here we are, Whitney Sewell, 500 million in assets, um, most likely this year. That's fantastic. So, um, what do you like to do outside of work? We were very involved in our church. Um, uh, and so I'd say outreach, you know, through our church, helping with, uh, you know, things there. Uh, time with family is crucial now. You know, like I said, for those three years, roughly, almost didn't exist at home, unfortunately. I, I would, and, and, and I would say, too, I would back that up to say I wouldn't recommend most people even do that. You know, I mean, the Lord sustained my wife and I through that and our children. And, and a lot of that was painting that vision for them, where we're going. Uh, and, and I would add there, too. Because uh, I think it's beneficial to your listeners. Like, you know, I said my wife's not into real estate. However, she is 110% behind our mission, our focus, you know, on adoption and our why. Uh, and so, you know, she wasn't just, you know, supporting me in this thing that Whitney's over there doing by himself, right? Sure. Like she had a vision of what we were doing, of this bigger goal. Um, and, and I say that also, like when you can paint that vision for your, not only your family, which they need it first, right? If you're going to venture off and do something like this. Um, but when you can paint that vision to your team, right? To your team members, they can see you're about something bigger than just a new car or house or financial gain, right? It changes that relationship, right? And they can see you're about something bigger because believe it or not, they want to be about something bigger than just financial gain. Whether they like, know it or not, uh, they do. And even, and even more than that, your investors, like do your investors know what your mission is, right? And believe it or not, they really want to, they, they, they want, they, whether they admit it or not, they would love to be a part of something that's bigger than just financial gain as well, right? Uh, and so, you know, they invest with us. Obviously, they are playing a role in helping these families and helping these children, right? It doesn't affect their returns, but they love being able to be a part of that, right? Absolutely. So, so, I, you know, I just encourage people to, I know I got sidetracked there just a little bit, but I just encourage people to think about that mission, that why, uh, and that's also helped us to commit, right? You know, when you were talking about that level of commitment, it, that it did that for us. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I know when I started the podcast, um, 
one of the, I've read two books. One was about how to start a podcast. And another one was um, Start With Why by yeah. Simon, Simon Sinek. And, yeah. and that, that was key for me. And I, and I would like go, I'd read another chapter and I'd be like, oh, I'm going to change this now. You know, like, because the focus kind of, the, the, you know, just gave me time to think and to, to refocus. Um, yeah, so that's fantastic. You asked me though about what I like to do outside of real estate and I didn't yeah. really answer that, but it was uh, obviously riding horses. I love doing that with my boys now teaching them to ride, you know, that's, it's just sweet time, right? Uh, just teaching them, spending that time with them. We're camping now a little bit, you know, as a family and that has been, that's been great. It was 70 degrees, 65, 70 degrees, like uh, new year's Eve, new year's day. And we went camping, you know, uh, uh, how are you, you doing know, the I, camping? Are you tent, tent camping or, or RV camping or, or what? So a little bit of both. I actually have a horse trailer that has a living quarters in it that will stay if we're going as a family. But I've got my boys actually into some survival stuff. And so wow. we are uh, not at the moment because it is so cold. Uh, and I don't expect them to bear something like that. And I don't want to either. But once it warms up again, we want to do more tent camping. But I want to take my boys out and actually do some more survival stuff. Like we're learning, I got them a book and we're learning even simple, like how to build a fire, right? You know, you're out in the wilderness and we go in that, we'll read about it. And then we go out in the, out in the backyard and actually do it, you know? Fantastic. So that's, been, that's been really good. That's, that's cool. So I I'm, my kids are, are college age now. And, um, so my wife and I are trying to figure out the travel thing. And, and so we've rented an Airstream a few times and we're trying to figure out like, what's the best way for us. We're not, we're not sure yet. Um, but we definitely do want to do the travel thing. So, yeah. um, and even if somebody wants to reach out to you and, and listeners, look, if you don't know Whitney Sewell, like, you know, you got to get to know him. Like you got to check out his podcast, you know, check out, um, his website and I'll give him a chance to, sh to share that again, but, um, just a good guy. And, um, you know, look, he said it early on, you know, he saw other people that did it and he's like, Hey, if they can do it, I can do it. Right. And so, so can you, if you want to do it, you can do it. So Whitney, how, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? lifebridgecapital.com. That's the best place. You can contact me there or, or most of our team. You can email me Whitney at lifebridgecapital.com or you can call or text me at 540-585-4338. Love to connect with you. We also have you know some white papers and things like that we've written around syndication and helping passive investors. We'd love to love to have, for you to have. Whitney, appreciate you being a leader in the space, um, you know, helping me along the way and helping listeners and um, look forward to seeing you at the next conference and um, go from there. So I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate you, Darren, and your kind words uh, about us and our business and a pleasure to know you. Absolutely. So until next week, sign off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at DarrenBatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend.